Welcome to Navigating Your Child's Education, a podcast for parents, grandparents, and anyone raising or influencing young people. I'm your host, Laura. On this episode, we're talking with Dave Runyon. Dave is a co-founder and the executive director of City Unite, an organization that helps government, business, and faith leaders unite around common causes. He also has many years of pastoral experience, including four years in youth ministry. Prior to that, he was a high school teacher in Christian education for five years. He and his wife, also an educator, have four children and are based in the Denver, Colorado area. Welcome, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Now, I'd like um, to provide a little context. Could you share with us about, uh, in particular, the neighboring movement that you helped to start and launch in the Denver metro area around 2010? Sure. So I was at that time, I was kind of transitioning from being a full-time pastor into running a nonprofit that helps churches work together. And we started to gather faith leaders in our part of the Denver metro area into rooms and just dream and pray about what might be the best way for us to work together as a team and to impact our city and to serve others in our in our community to make the the gospel tangible and so we put together a meeting with our mayor we had all the pastors in the room we just asked them and said hey like what's the smartest thing we could do if we wanted to serve our city and he didn't really understand the irony of it but he he told us he said you know if you guys want to have the biggest impact in our community you should start some kind of a neighboring movement and he just said you know when people are involved when there's when neighborhoods are connected it takes the weight off of all these systems that were that the government's trying to create for people in need and it was just a a powerful powerful moment uh laura and just to have our mayor tell a bunch of pastors like if you guys did the most basic thing the bible says uh, it would really change our city and so that sent me on a personal journey and my family and a group of us pastors of like kind of just going back to the basics being a presence in our neighborhoods, trying to reorient our time with all the different things that we have uh, going on and to just do small things in our front yards that ended up making a really big difference. And out of that experience was born a book that you co-authored with the fellow pastor uh, called The Art of Neighboring. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm curious, as, as a dad, former youth pastor, former high school teacher, how do you see the art of neighboring and the work of being a good neighbor intersecting with raising young people. Yeah. Well, I'll say this to all the parents, having kids is cheating when it comes to neighboring. I mean, they just have no fear. They're always out in the front yard. They're visible. They get to know the neighbor's names a lot of times before we do. And so it's, you know, for us, it was a lot of, Uh, following the breadcrumbs that our kids had laid out. And, you know, we want to meet the parents of the the people that our kids are hanging out with. And, um, and, and they just, I don't know, you know, I just think kids and dogs, I'll say both of those Uh, kids and dogs are cheating uh, when it comes to, when it comes to the neighboring stuff, but it's been an incredible journey for our kids as they have built, they've been stretched. The, The neighboring thing is messy and it's beautiful all at the same time. And so I think one of the things that, one of the things that was hard at the start, but now we've come to see as a gift is that 
when we're really engaged in our neighborhood, when you when you start to hang out with people just based on geography, you're guaranteeing yourself that you're going to spend time with people who don't think about the world the way that you do. Which, by the way, I think we need more than ever in our world with how polarized everything is. We need people who are in relationship together that don't share the exact same values and the same views about the world. Um, and I think that's something that obviously like Jesus modeled for us and that he that he commands us to do. But so this neighboring thing does that for you. And so we've just chosen to kind of look at it as a gift um, to be in the mix with our kids around people who are very different than us. And the number of like teaching moments and conversational moments that it's brought up for for my wife and I with our kids has been really tremendous. How have you navigated some of those conversations that you wished hadn't happened until three or five years down the road? Awkwardly, you know, a lot of times it's just very, I'm, we're very awkward and <laughs> just going, well, this, you know, we've just, it's just given us, it's just given us a lot of room to, to just look at our kids and say, listen, there's, a, there's people who, if, if their family isn't really into the Bible or God, then like us having expectations of them to like, believe in their Bible or do what the Bible says, it makes no sense. Like they, that's not something that's foundational for them. So it's just been great to have conversations with our kids along those lines. And for us to just, you know, be open and teach them, like, what does it look like to be unconditionally loving? How do you hang out with people who aren't going to have a bad influence on you, but who you're supposed to be a light to? I mean, you know, Jesus is always making the religious people uncomfortable because of who he's spending time with. Now, this is very tricky when it comes to kids. Like, I'm not I'm not saying that our kids should be going out and spending most of their time with sketchy people. Uh, but it's certainly something that Jesus does a lot. And I think knowing where our kids are at, like how strong is their own sense of self? Where are they at? And, you know, are they in a stage where if they're around others that aren't making good decisions, that they're going to be tempted to make awful decisions? Well, we don't want to be like throwing up stumbling blocks for our kids. Um, but at the same time, we want to be, if they know who they are, if they have a strong sense of self, if they're not going to be putting themselves into it, that's why we want our kids to be salt and light in the places that they live and in the places where they go to school. And so I think, I think that's up to each parent to be, you know, really clear and discerning with their kids. Based on what you've shared you know, when you begin to spend time with the people around you and they may have different values than you, um, that can create some prickly moments in parenting. But what are some of the benefits you've seen in raising your kids in a way that that puts being a good neighbor at the top of the priority list? It's just a daily opportunity to, to put my needs and for them to put their needs above others. And for us to go, hey, like, that person is, you may not have a lot in common with, but what does it look like to still be interested in them and what's going on in their life? And the intergenerational stuff that it, the opportunities that's given our kids have been off the charts. Um, our kids are incredible with adults and people always ask and go like, man, your kids always like look people in the eye and they, they just feel comfortable talking. And I give a lot of credit to that, to the, the way that our neighborhood has interacted. And the way the, the number of relationships that they have with people of all ages, with empty nesters, you know, people of all ages across the, the board. And I think it's just really helped them in a massive way in their own social development. That's a neat perspective. And I will say this too. We were talking about people who are different than us. We have a lot of friends too in our neighborhood who, 
you know, they're involved at local churches, even if it's not ours. And we've just, that's been a great gift is to kind of like lean in and meet other people in the body of Christ that, that happen to live around us and, the, and to build relationships with them. And so it's not, it's not all just like hard work and hard conversations. There's a lot, there's just a lot of fun and a, a lot of real joy that we've had from living in community like this. And for a long time, I was just so busy. And this, this is the, the number one thing I think parents have to figure out. Like I was just running around from one thing to the next to the next. Uh, for a lot of that time, I was serving as a pastor at a church, ironically, and, and it just filled up my life with so many different things and so many commitments to boards and different activities that I wasn't engaged at all in what was happening in my neighborhood. And just just slowing down enough, like leaving my phone in the house and being out in my front yard. Uh, I know that's a really radical thought for some of us, um, myself included, but just slowing down and really deciding like how many of my kids activity, like how crazy and in, in frantic are we going to allow our life to be versus um, slowing down and just creating space where we're interruptible or we're available, where we're just present in our neighborhood. And um, that's probably the biggest thing for most of the parents that are, that are listening right now that, you know, as I start talking about, you know, what would it look like to, um, to be engaged and have like friend, great friendships with the people in your neighborhood. You're, one of the things you're thinking of is I don't have time for one more relationship for one more friendship. Um, and if that's true, I'd say, you know, it might be worth just doing a time audit and kind of looking at all the things that you and your kids are involved in and just deciding and, and stepping back and reconsidering, is that something that we really want to give this much time to? Uh, because the time piece is the biggest obstacle especially for those of us with kids. Hey parents, I want to hit pause on this episode for just a minute to let you know about a free resource we offer. If you're curious about sending your children to Worthington Christian School, but assume the cost is prohibitive, before ruling it out, I'd encourage you to check out our free guide to paying for a private Christian education. This guide explains our financial aid program, 529 accounts, Ohio's EdChoice scholarship program, and more. You can download it by clicking on the link in the show notes. Now, back to our conversation. One particular story that you shared in the book and particularly in the chapter on time, like you're discussing now, is a hard choice you had to make with one of your with your son's uh, some baseball options that he had. And one baseball option required a really high time commitment, lots of practices, lots of games, traveling. And another was um, not quite as competitive. It didn't have as many commitments required. You know, as you made decisions like that, what fruit have you seen or why would, why would it benefit a family to make some of these hard choices in favor of just being present in your neighborhood? Yeah, that's a great. I, you're bringing me back a ways. Cause it was, that was about 10 years ago. Uh, and my son now is getting ready to go off to his freshman year of college, but I think club sports and just the number of activities we're in are, uh, are one of the hardest things to navigate for all just in general. I mean, I think that they're one of those things that they just ramp up the pace of our lives to a way that at times almost doesn't feel sustainable. And that's been the case for my wife and I. We have four kids that are now 18, 17, 15, and 13, a son and three three daughters. And I I would just say this. I, I want to tell parents, if your kids are younger, uh, as, hold off as long as you can on club sports. Um, like I, that'd be my two cents. Unpopular uh, opinion. 
unpopular opinion. And I'm a former like high school, I was varsity baseball coach. Like I get it. I get like that whole uh, crazy sports culture world, but it's it, it it sucks you in. So the, as long the longer you can hold out, do it. And that's what we did. We held out because we just saw with four kids we couldn't sustain it and all the different demands. And so in the, even when we did start leaning into some of the competitive stuff, we would just have a really direct conversation with the coaches and say, hey, listen, we would love for you to have Kendra on your team. But you just need to know, like, this is how much we are willing to travel uh, for a sports team. And we have three other kits. And so us doing the, you know, and so we would, and, and we would just have that conversation at the beginning and then let them decide, hey, this isn't a good fit for you. And that's fine. That's not the end of the world. Or, hey, no, we can, we want to work around this. And so I think if, if we're not good at initiating those conversations, um, we end up, life ends up just happening to us instead of us being intentional and being able to align what we want to do with the things that we actually believe in. And so for us, that's what it came down to is like, it's really hard to be a good neighbor if you're never in your neighborhood. I actually believe if we wouldn't have laid down those boundaries, like, I think we, we would have just been living at a pace in which we would have been miserable at. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of Christians today and for a lot of non-Christians. Like most people in our culture are just living at a pace that isn't sustainable. It isn't healthy. And they're not able to take a step back and go like, I don't have to live like this. Like they, they say, well, everyone lives like this. That's not true. And I think Jesus's model, this has been huge for me. It's big, a big awakening. Jesus, Jesus like gets a lot done in his life, I think. He's never, he never seems rushed or hurried. A lot of our favorite moments with him happen along the way. They happen because he's like interruptible. And, and that's great encouragement to me. I mean, there's times he's literally, there's people lining up to be healed and he walks away to go to the mountainside and to pray. And I think this is like one of the best apologetics that we have as like believers to the rest of the world is to say like, Hey, listen, like there's a better way to live. Like what if, what if like when, you worked, you were working hard. And what if like when you're not working, you weren't working? And, and what, if, what if there's just like, we're built for rhythms of engagement and then rest. And yet it's really hard for us to be a, a witness to the rest of the world on this issue when most of us in the Christian church are doing the exact same thing. Um, this neighboring thing for me, Laura, it confronted a lot of that stuff. It helped me to like take a step back and go, hey, I. I'm going to step off these couple nonprofit boards. We're going to try to hold off on club sports for a while so that we can live in a way that is in alignment with what Jesus talked about living so that we can slow things down so that we can get to know the people that live around us so that we can take more walks. Um, and we're not perfect at it by any means. I don't, I don't want to throw it out there, but that has been one of the biggest gifts. And it's been this, it's been this incredible reminder, you know, the neighboring stuff. It was like, we just started to ask this question. Like, what if when Jesus said to love your neighbor, he meant your actual neighbors too. And then I just started to read through scripture and Jesus' teachings and just say, Hey, am I taking that seriously? Am I taking You know, have I found a loophole in that? Or am I taking that teaching seriously? And I've just, one of the great byproducts is I just come to believe that like the way that Jesus talks about living is the best way to live. And the more that we're able to lean into that, the better our lives become. You dedicate an entire chapter of the book to motives, the motives we have for reaching out to others, to be, for being a good neighbor. And this quote really jumped out at me. 
it says, we don't love our neighbors so they will know Jesus. We love our neighbors because we already love Jesus and trust him. We are called to love our neighbors, even if our neighbors never show any interest in Jesus, because we have made Jesus our highest priority. How do you think parents can effectively communicate the nuance of this to our children? Yeah. Yeah. Like our motives really matter and like teaching our kids motives. And so kids are way better than this at adults, especially as Christians. I think there's a lot of us that feel like, well, if I'm going to go and build this relationship and now there's this pressure of like, I got to like have the big spiritual conversation with them. And then, you know, and they just dance through all of that. I'll just tell you like what we've learned is if you go into this thinking, this is some kind of evangelistic move, uh, it doesn't work as well because most of the people in our culture that aren't into like the church uh, have had bad experiences. And so when a Christian does something nice, they start going, okay, what weird things getting ready to happen? When's the, you know, they, they're just, they feel like we have ulterior motives. Uh, but when you just go in going, Hey, like God's commanded us to do this. Like we end up engaging with our neighbors, whether just because we feel like it's a discipline to just build friendships and relationships with the ones that are open to that. And when that happens, then it's just natural. Like I, I share my story with them and they share their story with me. And we're able to talk without feeling like I'm trying to convince you that you have to think exactly like the way that I do. And they're not doing that to me. And so that's, that posture piece is really, really important. And then I think with our kids, it's really important to just be saying, listen, like, yeah, we want people to know and follow Jesus because we think it's the best way to live. And we want people to experience eternity. But at the same time, like that's not like the sole motivation. I and what you said from the book is we just learned, like, of course, if your neighbor's never going to take a step towards God, of course, the teaching to love your neighbor still stands. And when we go in with that posture, I just think it creates soil where authentic, deep relationships can be formed. And in the midst of those, you just end up sharing the things that you love anyway. And so that's what we're trying to help our kids think through as well. You mentioned, or you encourage families to conduct a time audit, you know, for those that think, well, I don't, I don't have time for another friendship or relationship, but for families that are interested in exploring the art of neighboring on a deeper level, how would you encourage them in their first step? Really easy. The the best thing you can do is just, learn and retain and use your neighbor's names when you see them that right there like like here's the great news this doesn't take a ton of time like when you're starting off just do small things that make a big difference so you learn and retain use your neighbor's names and then when you see them you just stop and just say hey how's your day hey like did you see the end of that broncos game or whatever whatever it is like just it doesn't take a ton and covid gave us a great you know in covid our neighbors were some of the only people that we were seeing on a regular basis and so we heard story after story of people saying you know i was walking more um during the pandemic my neighbors were more visible it gave me a chance to build some connections with them that i had never built in the past i've been an interesting kind of vocational path where i've been in christian education I've worked on a church staff and now I'm working for this nonprofit and thinking a lot about neighborhoods. And I just think the one thing I'd encourage parents and, and just maybe even challenge them on is just like to be intentional 
with what it is that you want your kids to to soak up and to learn while they're in your home. Um, we're in a unique season where our first is getting ready to go out to college, and it's been uh, a terrifying season. And also, it's been encouraging to kind of think back and look. And my wife and I sat down, and we just wrote down 10 years ago, if like our kids only like leave knowing seven things about God and about life, what are the seven things that we want them to have? And, you know, we wrote that down. I think the list ended up going to 10 and it just gave us a framework to think about. So oftentimes I think when you're just parenting, it's just easy to just get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. You're just handling, what are the things right in front of me? What's this crisis or that crisis or what I have to get done? Um, but for my wife and I, there's just been great power in, be, in being really intentional and in getting up, you know, 30,000 feet and going, and we go back to that paper a lot and just say, all right, what are those things? How well are we doing with each of our kids? And we'll use it to say like, like, where does Ethan, like, are there one of these that's probably just weak and we need to like be more intentional about this year. So I think just, just that, in, that idea of intentionality is massive when it comes to trying to raise kids in our culture today. Thank you again, Dave, for sharing your experience and insight. Parents, thanks for listening in. Make sure to check out this episode's show notes for related resources. A new episode of the Navigating Your Child's Education podcast is published on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Make sure to like and subscribe, and the latest episode will automatically appear in your preferred podcast library. 